gospel lesson for today will serve as the basis for our sermon text. It comes from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus continues, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. For you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Nothing be, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The word radical is a word with an interesting history. It comes from the the Latin root radix, R-A-D-I-X, and it means root. Did you know that? The word radical is, is from a Latin word that means root, and for a very long time in history, that's really what radical meant. It, it meant something along the lines of down to the root, If you were using the word politically, say, 100, 200 years ago, and you wanted to discuss radical reform, you weren't talking about extreme reform like the word is often used today. You were talking about holistic reform, reform that would get down to the base of the structure that needed to be changed so that the whole outcome could be different. But you wouldn't just change surface things. You would get down to the fundamentals. It was root-based reform. Now, as I mentioned today, that the word has kind of lost that meaning, and it's been used more and more in an extreme 
sense as a synonym for the word extreme. When you hear the word radical, it's rarely being used in a a root sense these days, especially in the political extremes. It's being used to communicate something different. But today we want to use the word in its more original sense. Jesus is getting after radical moral reform. As we've been talking about the last few weeks, this sermon is for his disciples. It's for Christians. It's for you. It's for me. It's for people who know who we are, sinners. It's for people who know who Jesus is, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the light of the world. But Jesus also knows those for whom he died, and he knows us very well. He knows how we tend to deal with sin and how often we are very good at belittling it and how our sinful hearts will ignore it whenever we can. And so today he speaks to us, to his disciples with a heart of love, seeking after root-based reform to get down to the very root of who we are, that we would see ourselves very clearly, that we might better appreciate who he is and what he's done. And, and you see that right away as he begins discussing the fifth and sixth commandment, the, the commandments forbidding murder and adultery. Gross physical murder is a shocker. If in the middle of our service, a group of police officers walked in here and pulled one of you aside and you heard them saying, you're under arrest for the murder of as they went on to read their rights. That'd be a stunner, wouldn't it? If someone sitting in this room, a a fine Christian man or woman, was all of a sudden slapped in handcuffs and carried off on the accusation of murder, you wouldn't need to know the details of what happened for your blood to begin to curdle inside your veins or for the hair to stand up on the back of your neck. You wouldn't need the newspaper to report all the gory details of the knife that was used or the the gun that was used. You wouldn't have to hear anything that would really make you uncomfortable. You'd already be plenty uncomfortable because you'd be thinking, I'm in the presence of a, a murderer. But none of you walked into this room tonight thinking, oh boy, I'm gonna be in the presence of a bunch of murderers. A room full of murderers, great. But Jesus says this is a room full of murderers because the one who calls his brother or sister in Christ an idiot is a murderer. The one who calls his brother or sister in Christ a fool is a murderer. To get down to the root of it, anything that flows from hatred, anything that flows from anger, is a breach of the fifth commandment. Oh, the consequences, the results of these different kinds of murder might be very, very different. The impact of calling someone an idiot might seem very different than the impact of sticking a knife into their heart. But Jesus would have you know and believe for certain that both are damnable and worthy of hell. Same thing with adultery. You don't need to know the gory details of what happened in a dark room when you hear that your brother committed an affair or that your sister's been having an affair for years. 
You don't want to know. You don't want to know what that actually looked like. You don't want to know where it happened. You don't want to know how often it happened. You don't want to know any of those details. You don't want to know anything about it. Your skin's already crawling to think of the pain that was caused, the impact it's going to have on your nieces and nephews, let alone on the person who committed the crime and the person offended by it. Jesus says it's not just that kind of adultery. It's the wandering eye, the lustful mind, the screen time with inappropriate things dancing all across. Again, the impact of pornography use that no one else knows about might seem a lot different than an affair that's been going on for years. The impact of a lustful thought bouncing around between your ears might seem so insignificant to fornicating with someone who's not your spouse. But Jesus says, while the impact might be different to those who are impacted by the sin, they're all damnable. They're all worthy of the fires of hell. They all come from the very same place. Now, as we begin to talk about divorce, it'd be helpful to at least acknowledge that the people Jesus is talking to, who were his disciples, right? He's talking to the church. He's talking to Jewish men and women. Their divorce culture, prevalent as divorce was then, was a little different than ours in this one way. They were asking a different question than we ask. When it comes to divorce in the Christian church, we tend to ask, well, is it valid or is it just? Is there gro- are there grounds for divorce? The people in Jesus' day weren't asking those questions. We'll talk about our context in a minute. But the question they were asking was not, is this valid? The question they were asking is, how do I do it? I'm going to get divorced. What, what do I do? How do I do it? That's it. They weren't so convinced if it was or concerned if it was a good reason or not. If the man wanted to divorce his wife, how did I, how do I do it? And here's how. You had to write her a certificate. And when there's some archaeological evidence where there's been some examples of those certificates found and it basically says you're free. You're free to marry another man. That was it. She just needed to have some proof. So that if she wanted to marry another man, she could just show him, no, I'm, I'm really not married anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm fair game. Here's the proof. To people in that context, Jesus simply says, don't divorce. What God has joined together, let no one separate. <laughs> you think that if there's an adultery in the marriage a sin of adultery in the marriage, well, then there can be divorce. Well, what Jesus is really saying is if there's adultery in the marriage, then the marriage is broken and that's what divorce is. It's a broken marriage. So if the offended party wants to leave because the marriage has been broken by the offending party, well, so be it. The marriage is already broken. But then Jesus goes on to say, but if you get divorced... The marriage is broken. 
It might seem different to you. The sin of divorce and the sin of adultery, which breaks a marriage, but both break the marriage. Both are sins, equally damnable, equally worthy of hell. There might be cases where only one person in the divorce is the one who's doing the sinning by breaking the marriage, by filing for divorce. The other might not want it. But the one who files for divorce unjustly is sinning. But in our context, all we want to know is, well, is it, can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? Is it okay? Is it, is it acceptable? Can this, can this happen? Was I really abandoned? Was I really abused? Does it count? Yes or no? Oh, I just want you to be happy. Nonsense. We live in a context where <clears throat> people want to know, can I, can, I, can I do it? Within the Christian church, while both husband and wife are still Christians, we try to act as though it's acceptable. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's sticky. Because divorce always deals with sin. No divorce is without sin. And there's this stuff about oaths. Jesus' point is, is pretty simple. Why can't your yes just be yes and your no be no? Why do you need to appeal to a higher authority to, to validate your promise? Why can't you just keep your word? If, you're say, if you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're not going to do something, don't do it. Just tell the truth. Have integrity. Be honest. Don't lie. If you do it, sin. Just as damnable as adultery and murder. We have this tendency to forget how self-focused our sinful nature is. The sinful nature inside of us, even as disciples of Jesus, it's still there, and it wants nothing but to serve itself. The sinful nature could care less about the neighbor, could care less about God. The sinful nature wants to serve me and me only. And Jesus knows this. He knows this about his people. He knows this about his disciples. He knows this about you, and he knows this about me. He knows that if left unchecked, we will do whatever we can to serve me, me, me. We'll refuse to love our God, and we'll refuse to love our neighbor. And so Jesus uses these harsh words where he gives us another glimpse at just how high God's standard for perfection is. It's not this surface obedience. Oh, I've never killed anybody. I've never had an affair. I'm not divorced. It's so much deeper than that. The sin that infects us is all the way down to the root. And so Jesus gives us this standard that just makes us feel gross. It makes us feel so unworthy. It helps us to realize that there's no way we could possibly do what God expects of us. And Jesus wants us to be in that spot. 
He wants us to be feeling that way, completely incapable of self-reliance. Because then we have only one option, reliance on Him. And He is our only hope. What's impossible for us was possible for Him. What we failed to do, He never failed to do. Down to the roots, He was pure every single moment of His life. He never once did something to offend his God or to offend his neighbor. Not once. He reached down into the fires of hell to grab you, to grab me. He reached down into hell and pulled us out by washing us with his innocent blood. But then he didn't just leave us here. He He brings us all the way to paradise. And while we're in this life, still doing battle against our sinful nature, he's right there with us every step of the way, showing us, I I know, I know how hard it is. I know how strong the temptations are. I've battled them every day. And I've cleansed you of all your failures I've washed you whiter than snow. No filth remains. It changes the way we look at these rules. We're no longer striving to convince ourselves that we've done a good enough job. We've, we look good on the outside. Nobody really knows what's really going on inside of here, so I'll be okay. No, we, we don't need to rely on those kinds of excuses and attempts at self-justification anymore. We look at God's expectations and we see the good. It is better not to end the life of another human being. It is better to love them than to hate them. It is better to not call my loved ones an idiot. It is better to help them see how much I love them with my words and my actions. It is better to be faithful to my spouse. It is better to look away when temptation to lust arises. It is better to remain in the bond of marriage for both husband and wife, for children. It's better to be honest than to lie. We see the good in what God has asked of us and we desperately want to please him. Not so that he'll let us into paradise, but because we know paradise is already ours, because we know that Jesus has already plucked our filthy selves out of, paradise, out of hell and cleansed us. We want nothing but to please the one who rescued us. We want to serve him with everything we are and every moment that we have. You'll, you'll fail. Maybe before... The head hits the pillow tonight. But no more excuses. No more belittling of sin. No more, ah, it's no big deal. Just trust in Christ. Cling to him and cling to him alone. In him you are clean. In him you are pure. In him you are holy. Holy. W-H-O-L-L-Y. H-O-L-Y, you are pure. 
Amen.